Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we have and will continue to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so glad uh, to be here and so glad to be worshiping uh, together. For those of you who may be visiting, uh, my name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Journey Hanley Road. And here at the Journey, our vision is to see our city awakened to and transformed by the love of Jesus. And we seek to do that uh, by seeing the Lord bring revival, restoration, and refreshing right here uh, to our community and throughout our city. So glad that you are worshiping with us. Um, If I've not met you or this is your first time or whatnot, so glad to meet you. Glad that you are worshiping with us. Um, uh, If you're on Facebook or YouTube, we are glad that you are here uh, with us and just grateful to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, First, I want to thank you guys for praying for me uh, last week. You know, I I had a pretty good run. Um, I I was, um, I had three years, no COVID. Uh, You know, I had, um, I had played chicken with COVID for three straight years in one. Um, And somehow last week, I don't know what happened or who breathed on me. Uh, But uh, somebody had a mix that finally, you know, I'm be honest. I think the Lord was just humbling me because I had got a little, I think I had got a little cocky. I think I thought I was Wolverine for a minute, you know, and uh, I'm be honest, I had did some risky stuff. You know, I was over, um, you know, I'm vaxxed and boosted and all that good stuff. Um, so I think I'm sure that made a difference. And, uh, but over the summer, I was over in Texas and when I was over in Texas, um, in Dallas, it was code red COVID over there. Like they were like, please stop. And I was there unmasked with 1500 Texans at a conference eating tacos and having a great time. And in airport, I didn't get COVID, so I figured if I wasn't going to get it there, I just wasn't going to get it, you know. Uh, so I figured I was one of those people with a wonderful immune system until last week. Uh, so, uh, but anyhow, thank y'all for uh, your prayers. I did test myself. I am negative now, but I'm feeling great, feeling just fine. Honestly, it was very mild. Uh, I've had colds that were worse, to be candid. I'm so grateful for your prayers. Um, but last week, um, I, even though I was out, didn't plan to be out. Um, I had to send a last-minute call in to a pinch hitter uh, to stand up in my stair by the name of Minister Charlton Stubblefield, and did he? <clears throat> I uh, I gave him a call Friday night. I said, "Hey, man, look, it ain't looking too good for me <laughs> right now. I don't know. I might not." And you know, then I started testing positive. I'm like, "Yeah, man," and uh, the Lord used him. Um, and I had church, right? I mean, I could tell I was laying in my bed uh, with a fever watching y'all have church. And I was like, Lord, they are having church. So I had, <clears throat> I just want y'all to know I was, I was shouting, laying prostrate in, on, my, on my bed of affliction. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm grateful. Uh, we are just, I'm be honest, we are just spoiled here at Hanley Road, are we not? Uh, we just have an assortment of uh, pastors and preachers and uh, ministers who can carry the word. Um, and that's the way the church should be. 
Um, it is reliant on a body of Christ, a body of believers, everyone who comes in their own way, made in the image of God, and who expresses the gospel um, in ways that the Lord has ordained for them. So I'm grateful uh, for the gifts that the Lord has given our church. Um, so for the last few months, uh, we've, uh, we earlier this year, for those who may just be joining with us or just been hanging out with the church uh, in the last few months, uh, earlier this year, starting in January, we started to walk through the book of Ephesians, and we've been taking our time walking through Ephesians and uh, just going verse by verse through the book through a series that we've called One, the Union, Communion, and Calling of the Church. And we have examined uh, the nature of the church, the calling of the church, uh, the constitution of the church. Uh, and then in April, we merged uh, with a church called The Gate, and we became one, the Journey Hanley Road. Amen. And... I mean, that, that merger, um, you know, a lot of times when we start talking about church mergers, I'm going to be honest, there are some people like, ah, those don't work, those don't go so well. Um, I would say that our merger um, has gone exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Um, we, <clears throat> we were able uh, to, to come together as one church. We've added an incredible roster of staff and elders and pastors and members um, who have already shaped and transformed uh, the field of this church as we've continued to be one. But we've walked through this book all the way up uh, through chapter 5, and we've landed in the place in the book where Paul begins to talk about marriage. Uh, and as I began to study this and I began to reflect um, on the state of marriage and just conversations I've been having around the church, uh, it became very apparent to me, I'm going to be honest, I, I have uh, those who know me know I actually have the preaching calendar. I actually had a preaching calendar laid out through 2023. I'm not haphazard. I'm intentional. Uh, we think through um, how we preach, teach, and strategically form and disciple the people here of Hanley Road. But the Lord impressed upon me um, that, hey, your calendar is cool, uh, but I need you to slow down because I got something I need to say to my people. Amen? Um, and so the Lord has downloaded over this week, and um, not just to myself, but uh, through Pastor Kyle and Sister Sabrine and some of others around that I've just been just uh, kind of picking their brain, um, has shaped up an incredible eight-week series on marriage, relationships, and singleness. Um, amen. Uh, because it's not just married folks who need help, but singles and, and people um, who are divorced and people who are widowed and widowers. How do we live out our, call, our calling and vocation as married people, as single people, as people who are made in the image of God. So it's going to be at least eight weeks. Um, and it's going to be cool because not only are you going to get sermons, we've got some really awesome panels and discussions planned. we got some content that we're planning uh, to equip you with. So I really want you uh, to be engaged for this entire series. So if you hear me, I want to let you know I got, I got some series that are pointed directly at our singles. I got some sermons, rather, that are pointed directly at our singles as well as for married people. So what I want to say to you is that um, regardless of where you find yourself in life, if you're married, certainly this series is for you, even if it's been, you've been married for a long time. Uh, if you're new at marriage, uh, if you're a couple that's dating seriously, that's considering marriage, I really want you to lean in. I also want people um, who are married to people that are unbelievers to lean in, because there are a lot of people um, who are married to someone, um, maybe y'all got, maybe y'all were together, and over the course of time, this person is no longer a Christian, or you just, you, maybe you got saved and they were not, never saved, or you come to church by yourself, um, but we're hoping to equip and pour into you, um, as well as singles. When I talk about singleness, we tend to just assume um, that all singles are looking for a spouse. But there are some people that God has called to a life of singleness, that desire to live a life glorifying to God in their singleness. Amen? Amen. It's all right to clap for that. It's okay. 
Um, Y'all do know um, that the guy who wrote this book, uh, Paul, um, though Paul was um, almost certainly once married, lived the duration of his life as a single man. Y'all do know that when God became flesh, he became flesh and lived 33 years on earth, not as a married man, but as a single man. And sometimes, I'm, I'm already preaching, by the way, I know I ain't read the text yet, but I'm already preaching, uh, that this single man named Jesus is the embodiment of what true humanity is. So what that means is that you can live out the fullness of your vocation as an image bearer and as a person who works and lives for the kingdom as a single person. Amen? Amen. And so if you're single, even if you're like, okay, today I'm going to be talking, a lot of the series I'm going to be talking directly at married people, but I want you to listen carefully because it still informs your place as the bride of Christ, as a person uh, who walks with Jesus. And I guarantee you, if you're single, you probably got some married friends who probably talk to you about their marriage. And so there may be times when God is calling you to speak life into your married friends who may be struggling and may be frustrated. And you as a single person, just because you're single does not mean that God have not given you words of life and encouragement for your friends that are single, amen, or that are married. And so I want everyone, my, my ask, and even if you're listening to me, even if you're watching and you're like, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Um, listen, even if you are not a believer, I want to say this. I believe the Christian ethic around marriage is still the best, best ethic, even if you're not a Christian. I believe that the principles that are taught through the scripture about how marriage functions can bless anybody that will apply them, whether or not you are a believer. So even if you're not a Christian and you're like, listen, I'm not interested in a bunch of Bible thumping around my marriage, I think the Bible can help you with your marriage even if you're not a believer. So even if you're not a Christian, I still think you should give me a hearing. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be reading uh, today from Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22 through 33. I am not going to endeavor to preach all those verses, but I want us to find the context, hear what the Bible is saying, and then I'm going to talk through um, actually just the last couple verses. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. If you're using our pew Bible, it's on page 978. And if you can't find it, it'll be on your screens. When you have it, give me an amen. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Here's the word of the Lord from the English Standard Version. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm actually only going to preach from verses 31 and 32. I'm going to read it again in your hearing. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Would you pray with me? 
Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are good. Father, we thank you for the mystery of marriage, the mega mystery, the great mystery, as Paul calls it, the mysterious union of marriage that all of society is still trying to get our hands around. God, would you speak to us today, not what the world says, we hear them loud enough, we hear them often enough. Would you speak to us what you say about the institution that you created for your glory and for our good? It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to live for us for the topic today, the mystery of marriage. The mystery of marriage. You know, as I uh, begin to prepare for this series and for uh, this, um, this sermon, this sermon in particular, but this series as a whole, as I began to read um, about marriages and research about marriage, um, I made, uh, have you ever just made the mistake of, and put something in Google um, that just overwhelmed you with the results? Um, I put in marriage resources, and I was literally boiled over um, with resources and uh, different things. I mean, I saw all kinds of things. I saw um, podcasts on marriage, books on marriage, seminars on marriage, classes on marriage. There were whole apps dedicated just to marriage. Retreats, workbooks, counseling, coaching sessions on marriage. And I mean, I literally, and I read, I looked at Christian ones. What I, what I was fascinated by was that I looked at some of the premier ministries in our country, and without fail, each of those pastors and each of those churches said that the number one most uh, requested, downloaded, and viewed sermons in their ministry were not the ones where they were expositing Romans and uh, the different series where they were digging into books in the Bible, but without fail, it was marriage and relationships. And so in my mind, I said, okay, um, if that is the case, if that's the reality, then what that tells me is that two things. One, there must be a tremendous need. People must be walking through their marriages, walking through their relationships, considering marriage, experiencing their relationships, and feel a tremendous need. But not only must there be a tremendous need, with all these books, I mean, it was, it was so many books, unbelievable amount of books from all perspectives, marriage must be in pretty good shape. Because people are reading about it, studying about it, they're going to conferences, everybody got a good sermon about it. I looked at some sermons from some popular preachers, literally millions of views. And so I began to dig into the data, um, because I said, you know, I'm a big fan of doing my own homework. You know, we've all heard these statistics about marriage. 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and the Christian divorce rate is either the same or equally as bad. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to do my own research. I'm, I'm not going to listen to what people say. I'm going to look at it for myself. And I was actually surprised. I'm glad I did that, um, because it would have been easy. I'm being candid. It was so many resources. It would have been easy for me to pick one and come up here and parrot it. It, it would have been way easier. But I was like, mm, now let me read. Let me just see uh, what's actually out here. And what I actually found startled me because it wasn't quite as bleak as I expected. I actually found out, so uh, th here are some positives about marriage and things in our country. Did you know that the divorce rate in the United States has hit a 50-year low? Most people didn't know that. Uh, if anything, we thought it was, it was up. I was like, oh, it's hit a 50-year low. This is all current um, as far as the last census go. Check this out. Check this out. Millennials, that would be me, people would be born between 1981 and 1996, the greatest decade, 15 years in the history, hallelujah. In human history, <laughs> the, the, the apex of human, the pinnacle human achievement, millennials. 
found out that millennials, that's us, that's me, we have lower rates of divorces than older age groups. In your face, boomers. No, joke. <laughs> no, 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 I need the boomers to stay. Let me not mess with the boomers, man. But, uh, no, uh, but I was surprised. I was like, oh, I just, okay, let's go. I was surprised because, you know, all the articles beat up on us. Like, we are responsible for the downfall of society. Uh, <laughs> you know, what you read? I also read, I got that info from the CDC. I also read in the census data um, that the median duration of current marriages in the United States has actually increased one year in the recent decade from 19 years in 2010 to 19.8, almost 20 years in, as of 2019. And so as I've seen this, I said, you know, all these podcasts, sermons, seminars, retreats, books, podcasts are working. It's working. This is good. You know, so I felt good coming in. I'm like, shoot, I'm, I'm like swimming upstream. Um, but I learned as a person who has spent a lot of my time analyzing and looking at data that a lot of times when you see data, you see the face of it, but you got to get up under the hood of the data. And I kept digging. I kept digging and I kept looking. Um, and then I began to see some things that start, startled me even more. Because I found out, yes, it is true, we should celebrate that the U.S. divorce rate hit an all-time low because that's a good thing. People are not divorcing as much, but it hit an all-time low because marriage itself is at an all-time low. The reason why people are getting divorced less is because they're not getting married in the first place. I found out that for every 1,000 unmarried adults, as of 2019, only 33 got married. This number, a decade ago, was actually 35 out of 1,000. I also found out in 1970 that this number was actually 86 out of 1,000. So from 1970 to 2019, the uh, per 1,000 marriage dropped from 86 to 33. While I was celebrating myself being a millennial, being one of the greatest generations that's ever walked the face of God's green earth, um, and all the great things that we've done for music and culture, I had to lament that the reason why we are lower in divorces is because we are the highest in cohabitation. We are the highest, more than any other generation, that does this thing, cohabitation, or as my grandma used to call it, shacking up. We shack up more than they did. We, we want to test drive it. We want to make sure we like it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Do we? We want to, do I like it? Do I want to put a ring on it? I don't know yet. Let me try it. And so we tried, and we think we're helping, but according, and, and again, I want to be clear. This isn't focus on the family data. This is secular government data. So this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't somebody with agenda trying to spin it. Here's what the secular data says, that those who shack up have a much significantly higher chance of divorce than those who don't. And so while we think we are helping ourselves, we're actually hurting ourselves. I also learned that the marriage divide, I learned there's this thing called a marriage divide, that those who are educated and more, uh, more uh, college educated and more economically better off tend to marry at higher levels, and that gulf has increased so that those who are considered quote-unquote middle class and up, that they are, 64% of them are in a healthy, stable, what they would call an intact marriage, whereas only 24% of Americans in the lower third income bracket are in an intact marriage. 64% versus 24 and we hear that type of data, and here's the scary part. Nobody knows what has happened through COVID. All the data, all the statisticians are still trying to figure out what is going to be the fallout from COVID. Has the divorce increased? There are things that are saying that the rate is ticking up. 
They are still trying to figure out what happened with quarantine, what happened during 2020. All the numbers I found were only current as of 2020. We are still assessing the damage that isolation, quarantine, and being stuck in a house together did to our marriages. These numbers, not only, these are just, this is just raw data point stuff. What's also interesting is that none of these things actually capture or speak to the increase of things in marriage and the, the undermining of the institution of marriage and things such as the rise of polygamy and polyamory in our country. The rise and the impact of adultery and abuse. And so what I've noticed is I've compared the data and looked at the different generations is that different generations did things for different reasons. The older generation said, hey, look, we're going to stick in our marriages because, especially if you were in an African-American community or in an at-risk community, look, the, the communities were already being tore up by racism, Jim Crow and stuff, so we're going to hang in there and not tear up our community more by breaking up our marriages as much as we can. And then the millennials responded to that and said, well, you were in some unhealthy stuff, so we're not going to repeat your issues, and so our generation started pointing our fingers at one another. The older generation, you hung in there with stuff that was unhealthy, and I'm not going to do that. And the older generation saying to the younger generation, well, you need to learn how to commit and hang in there. And then we turn towards one another, and rather than mentoring and pouring into each other, we actually go the opposite ways. And so many in our modern culture, my generation, millennials, and the generation that's coming up just under me who are just preparing for marriage, Gen Z, say things like, why bother? Just go habitate. Why bother with this thing called marriage? Just, just, just have fun with each other, enjoy one another, do what you can do, and don't get too tied up and too committed. Why, why, why give yourself to something that isn't going to work? Just use each other as tools for pleasure, go on a few dates, have a little sex, take a few trips, put it on your IG, and be done with it. And I don't want to be too hard on anyone because I think all generations would agree on this, regardless of how we're coming at it, how we're thinking about it, is this reality that marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult, it is complex, and if you have been married for longer than about two to three minutes, you have found out that there are things <laughs> that are challenges. And I had to ask myself, and you're probably like asking me, okay, Carlos, I, I might not have known those statistics, but you have not told me anything new about marriage. That is hard, you telling me you got me up out my morning, I drove here through the rain for you to tell me that marriage is hard? I mean, marriage is hard, shoot, singleness is hard, divorce is hard, life is hard, bro. What are, what are we doing right now? <clears throat> I understand. I want to submit to you, though, that the reason why marriage is a challenge is because entrenched in marriage is one of the greatest mysteries that has ever laid and rested upon the shoulders of humanity. Why would something that itself is a parable and a picture of the greatest mystery that is to be revealed. And what I mean by that, of course, all of humans have known about marriage because God instituted it, but the true meaning of what marriage is and the true weight of it was not revealed until Christ came and became the embodiment of God's love for his people. And God lays the weight of this mystery square on the shoulders of humanity in Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2 from where Paul points to or, or pulls from and says, this is a great mystery, and the reason why we're having trouble with it and getting our hands around it and why the whole world is trying to figure out how to make it work, and some of us are just throwing up our hands in frustration, is because it is a mystery that is great. That means that it's just hard to get your hands around. And so my hope today is, one, to help, as Paul does in this text, to help I, don't want, I can't unveil it because Paul has already unveiled it, but I want to unveil his unveiling, if that makes sense. I want to help to unveil this mystery that Paul has opened up in this text. And my hope is simply this, that we can elevate marriage 
and help us see this beautiful mystery that is actually a, a gift from God that has been given to us so that we don't do what many of us are tempted to do, which is to give up on the institution in the first place. Some of us within the institution of marriage, let's just be honest, some of us, and you ain't got to make eye contact, just look straight at me, some of us are kicking around, toying with, or pursuing avenues of divorce because we feel like it is easier than trying to hold on. Some of us have given up on the institution and have decided not that you want to be single because you want to pursue Jesus and give your life to the Lord, but because it's just too hard in the first place and you don't want to deal with the frustration and the heartbreak. But I would like to submit to us not to give up on this institution, but to behold the mystery of marriage, to trust the God who made it with the hope that we can re-engage this institution that he has actually designed for his glory and for our highest good. And so this mystery of marriage, as we begin to think through it, I just want to lay a couple of ideas. There are a lot of things I could say, and that's why I got eight weeks. I got a lot of stuff to say. But today I'm going to kind of fly at a high level. And I'm going to kind of just lay out some ideas that I want us to consider and think about as we go back to our homes. Regardless of how we return, I want us to think about uh, these realities. You notice that I actually started in the end of the passage rather than the top. I, I saw, I heard people like breathe heavy when, I, when we read, wives submit to your husbands. They're like, oh God. Uh, uh, I mean, knees buckled. I, I've had, I've done marriage counseling. I've had sisters sit in my office and roll their eyes so hard when we talk through this passage. Don't worry, we're not preaching about it. We're going to preach about it. We're going to talk about it. So I'm getting, but I'm going to give you a little run up. I'm going to give you some, give you some time. I ain't going to dive in today. Um, but, <laughs> but why did I start at the end? Did it wasn't just to spare your feelings, not so much. Um, but it was actually because if you follow Paul's logic, the punchline is verse 31 and 32. That is the mystery. And he starts with injunctions in a household code that was taken from Stoic philosophy and other philosophies uh, during his time. But his logic actually lands in verse 31 and 32 that we have this mystery. But what is this mystery that we got to unfold? Why is marriage difficult and how do we get our hands around it? The first thought that I want to leave with us and leave for our consideration is that the mystery of marriage, the reason why it's hard and why we have to deal with it, is that the mystery of marriage is contrary to human nature. Say that again. The mystery of marriage is contrary to human nature. Look, look at verse 31. He says, the two shall become one flesh. So let's just start with um, the mystery of the math here. When we think about, like, God in general, I would just say, I'm like, God, you know, for the person, for you to be the person um, who came up with math and calculus and logic and all that stuff, it seems like you're notoriously bad at it. Um, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> he gets up and say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's three of us. Dope. There's three gods. No, just one. Hold on. Wait a minute. <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's three. Nope, just one. Wow. So, so what are we doing? What are we doing? I'm like, I'm, I don't know. So, the Trinity is itself a mystery. And let me define this word mystery. It doesn't just mean like, like a, a spooky thing. It just means something that has been hidden that God reveals. Just like the Trinity, he, he reveals this mystery of marriage. And this text is actually given from Genesis 2.24 when God creates man. He says something, the two shall become flesh. Not I made a half a person and another half a person. Add them together, make a whole person. No, two whole people become one flesh. And that's another one of my messages. I'm so tempted to jump in there, but that's like message down the road. So I'm just hang off there and just talk about God's math. And this sounds beautiful and poetic because these two whole individuals, these two, this man and this woman, and I want to be very clear that I'm defining marriage as between one man and one woman per the Bible, amen? But this marriage between one man and one woman comes together, and it doesn't make two, it makes one. 
And it sounds beautiful and poetic. There are songs about it. We have this read at our marriage. But when we try to actually walk this out, um, it will lead to World War III in your house. Why, why is this? Why? Why? Um, and it's simply because after the fall, this thing happens in Genesis 3, where human beings rebel against God. It's given as a picture of humanity eating the fruit that God tells them not to eat. Man and woman rebel against God, turn their back against God. But not only do they turn their back against God, they actually turn themselves inward. And so Martin Luther, the great reformer, actually talks about sin as that which turns us inward. So when I talk about marriage itself being, a, uh, being contrary to human nature, I'm actually talking about human nature post-fall. Because what the fall does is turn us inward towards ourselves, but marriage itself is designed, think about what it says, the two becoming one, the two connecting. So in order for that to happen, you have to actually be turned outward. And so when we start talking about marriage now, you got two individuals who, because they have been defaced by sin, rather than turning outward towards one another in selfless love, turn inward towards self-love. And so... Rather than giving ourselves fully, mutually, and unselfishly, what happens is we rebel against God, we turn away, and so what begins to happen in our life, consciously or unconsciously, everything becomes about me. Everything is about me. Even my pursuit of a relationship is about me. I'm appalled by some of the things that I read about marriage. Uh, like, the, the, one of the worst ways, you go on social media and you can get marriage tips if you want to. <clears throat> but everything is about what the other person needs to do for me how they need to fulfill me, how they need to be a tool for my self-actualization, how that person's role is to help me become my best self, how this person needs to wine and dine me, how this person has got to sexually pleasure me. Everything becomes about me, and that is not how the Bible conceives of love. Rather, the Bible defines love by how you turn outward and sacrifice. And so when we start to think about what our nature is, the, the nature of sin, that's what sin was. Think about it. There's this fruit here. Satan says, hey, look, God is holding out for you. I know you want that knowledge, don't you? Heck yeah, I want that knowledge. So I'm going to eat the fruit because it's about me. And then man curves inward. And so the ask that you would be one flesh after the fall of man is actually contrary to fallen human nature. So now you got two broken people two people who are curved inward, and now all of a sudden, you got these two people that are being asked to give themselves away and then trust that the other person will do the same, and they have to do it while knowing that that other person is sinful and selfish in some way or another. And now we automatically have trust issues. We have to ask that a person who is almost certainly broken some way in some sexual reality would commit only themselves and their bodies in sexual union only to me, knowing that I'm sexually broken and they're sexually broken from our experiences and or abuse. You see, the ask almost feels unnatural. This is why people are throwing up their hands, and this is a result of the curse. Genesis 3.16, God says this. He says to the woman, listen, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. In other words, you're going to be fighting against him the whole time. This is why so many of the, the, the response to the idea of submission is to immediately eye roll. But why is the, the response to the call for a wife to submit to her own husband, not to every man, but to her own husband? It's important. Your own husband. But why is that call often met with such ire? 
because women have been abused, subjugated, oppressed by men around the world in every culture on every continent, and we are seeing the reckoning of it. And so the idea that you would want me to submit to somebody who has power over me turns her stomach. God says, your desire shall be con contrary to your husband, but listen to what he says to me, he shall rule over you. That word there is not the same language that's used back in Genesis 2. It's a word of subjugation, oppression, heavy-handedness, and that's exactly what we have seen, seen because of sin. And so, rather than being magnets that are drawn to one another, that connect one another with opposite polarities, it's actually like pushing two of the similarly, similarly polarized magnets and trying to force them through a force field that won't intertwine and won't come together, and so they repel. And so we ask, why is marriage hard? Because of the fall of humanity, we're turned inward rather than outward. But... It wasn't always so. In Genesis 2.24, I told you, we get this ideal. And what Paul comes back to us and says is that in Christ, we actually see the ideal restored. That God never drops the standard. That he points back to Genesis 2 as this ideal when Adam's aloneness is said to not be good. When God looks down and sees all of, uh, all of the animals, all the species having mates and connection and all of these things, and God looks at Adam and says, it's not good. Out of all his good creation, he looks at man. It's the only time in Genesis 2 when he says something that's not good. Man's aloneness is not good. And I want to be clear that this is a statement not only for marriage, but it's a statement for humanity, broad, humanity broadly. That all of human, human, humans need community, need connection. This is why singleness is very critical. That singleness does not mean aloneness. Singleness means that rather if you're a Christian, that your life has been pledged to Jesus until such a time, it, well, not until such a time, but God, if God chooses in his sovereignty to send you a spouse, in the meantime, your focus is on being the bride of Christ. But you do that in community, not by yourself, not isolation. Singles still need robust communities to have people who can take up and fill that relational space because it is not good that humanity, human beings, should be alone. And so God in the ideal makes this perfect specimen. He makes this person that he calls woman from the rib of man. He makes her his helper. And that helper does not mean, I want to be clear, because people uh, kind of get mixed up about this. Oh, she's just his assistant. You know, he's the CEO and she's the person who answers the phones. This same word for helper is the same word that God uses for himself throughout the Hebrew Bible where he calls himself the helper of Israel. This isn't weak help. This is strong help. This, this means that this woman who is taken from the side of man, not from his feet, as they say, so that he can trample over her, or from his head so that she rules over him, but from his side so that she walks side by side is a strong help to prop him up when he is weak. And when we start talking about what a helper is, what a woman is, her job is to prop up and support and pour into a man. And I want to say this real quick to my sisters. Yes, a man is supposed to pour into you and support you and wash you in the water by the word. But listen, you are the one that is also supposed to cultivate him and bear him up, not just take from him. And so Adam, he looks, he sees this woman, the one who is supposed to cultivate him, who is going to bear him up, who can see his deficiency, can see the things that are broken about him in public and not air him out in front of his friends. The one that sees and knows exactly his weaknesses, his vulnerabilities, and still, check this out, chooses to respect them in spite of it. Chooses to respect him in spite of it. He looks at this woman, 
And he says, he, start, he starts singing, actually. If you look at Genesis 2, it's actually set out in poetic meter. I just got to believe this is, this is in the New Carlos translation that the brother was singing 90s R&B. What other, what other, when, when Adam sings in Genesis 2, it had to be, I just, y'all remember 90s R&B when the brother sang in the rain? They don't sing in the rain no more. They, I don't know. Why the brothers always waited till it was raining to sing? They, it was never a bright day. And they was always outside of a window, just like, I don't know. She wouldn't let him in ever, but he sang in the rain with big black boots on, and y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know who y'all know who Casey and JoJo, the ooh, kings of the ooh, yay. Do I need to do it? No, nah, I ain't gonna do it. Yeah, it's okay if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> Have an ooh, yay battle one Sunday. It's gonna be part of the series. Uh, but Adam, Adam sings. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was taken out of man. This is, this is the ideal. This is the picture that man protects, that he leaves, that he takes the lead and the relationship, but he is so gentle, so gracious, so sacrificial that there is no room for distrust or for worry about abuse. And he is able to rely on her because she is able to bear him up. She is strong where he is weak. And they come together in this perfect sense. This is before men and women had to deal with the false self. This is before men and women had to deal with wearing masks before they deal with each other. This is before our hearts have been broken over and over and over again through practice, breakup and divorces, through failed relationship after failed relationship. This is when human beings could turn towards one another in this beautiful ideal. And now we sit and we wonder how, Carlos, you say that this is contrary to human nature. How do we turn back? How do we turn towards one another? I wanna be clear. You turn back towards one another by turning upward to Christ. You, you, if you want to turn back to one another, if you want to turn back, if you want to figure out how you get back to one another in your marriage, if your marriage is on a rock, so if you're struggling, every one of us, no matter how good your marriage might be, there are some areas of struggle where you have turned within and turned away from your spouse. And the way that you get back Turn towards, towards your spouse, and the way you can overcome that hu broken human nature that's contrary to marriage is by turning to Christ, who is able to make you a new creation, who is able to transform you from the inside, who is able to make you new. And some of y'all, like Carlos, look, I'm a Christian, we're a Christian, and we still ain't clicking. Let's just be honest. I love Jesus, I read my Bible every day. She loves Jesus, she reading her Bible, and we still ain't getting along in the house. If Jesus was the answer, we would have fixed it. Now, y'all know, just like I know, here's the truth. You can read a Bible every day, go to church, and not be walking in union with Christ. And not be actually loving your spouse like Jesus loves them. And let me define love. It ain't what they can do for me. It ain't how they can meet me where I am. It's how I can die to myself, submit my desires, and love them where they are. Check this out, even if they don't love me back. Because let's be honest, listen what the Bible says. Jesus says, or the Bible says, that while we were yet sinners, let me say it again, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, while we were still hating God, while we were still rejecting God, while we were still not loving God, that's when he chose to die. And so if we are going to walk that up the ladder of abstraction and apply it to your marriage, that means while she's yet getting on your nerves. While he is yet ignoring you and scrolling IG and double-clicking on other chicks' pictures. While she is yet ignoring you and spending more time talking to her work husband than you. While he is yet struggling to love the kids and be the man. While we are yet sinners, 
we love our spouse. And if we would each mutually turn towards that model, we can actually put to death, and it's going to take a death. Look, it's a gory death. Y'all talking about the cross. Y'all know that wasn't cute, right? I know we got one around our neck and it's gold. It wasn't nothing cute about the cross. It didn't look good. It didn't smell good. It didn't feel good. Death is dirty. And we die to ourselves. And so the mystery of marriage is difficult is because it's based around the cross, and the cross itself is complex, it's dirty, it's not easy, and God calls us to enter into that. Jesus said it this way with Christianity. If you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and die, not just carry it, die on it. If you want your marriage to watch, you can't wait, you can't do the tit-for-tat game because God don't do it with you. You don't want God, you want to go tit-for-tat with Jesus? Come on now, I don't. People always tell me, we want justice from God. I don't want justice from God, I want mercy. And if you want your mirrors to work, child of God, you have got to be the first to extend mercy. Not asking the question why she won't go first. Why he won't go first. That ain't your business. Your question is how can I go first and model the love of Jesus for my spouse? And listen, I'm just going to be honest. That, that's what it's about. Listen, this is why when I tell brothers come to me, hey, brother, Pastor Carlos, I'm ready to ask. We need to have coffee. I'm ready to pop that question. What question? What you finna have? Y'all finna go to lunch? Where y'all going? Y'all going on a trip? What y'all doing? And the answer to marry me. Let's have coffee. You know what you're about to ask? You're about to ask to die. You just, some, some, some of my single Christian brothers, they, they just worry about other stuff. Y'all know what the other stuff is. They just worry about other stuff. I'm like, listen, other stuff is, is just a, about a small part of what you're about to get yourself into. Are you ready to die? And this is what marriage is about. So not only is the mystery of marriage contrary to our nature, and in order for us to turn back to each other, we have to turn back upward to Christ. But the mystery of marriage is not only contrary to human nature, but check this out, it's to be grasped and held with human hands. Look back at verse 31. I'm still just in verse 31. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Look at this focus. He says, listen, I need you to leave a prior obligation and focus on your wife. One of the reasons, just I'm, a, I'm getting ahead in some of my series, but I'm just dropped this since I'm over here. One of the reasons that some of our marriages are struggling is because there's too many people in them. Leave your father, father and mother. That, that is, is we got our homeboys, our homegirls. We got folks, we got IG influencers. We got Facebook gurus who are speaking into our marriages and wonder why we can't connect. But that's... That's just why I'm over there. But he says, you got to turn from these other uh, relationships. Not that they're important, not that you reject your father and mother. The fifth commandment is to honor them. But it means that your priority, your focus, becomes your wife. The two become one. And so what this gets at, look, this word here, Paul brings in, it's about clinging, it's about holding, it's about white-knuckling. you got to hold on to it. And what this said to me is that if you're actually going to hold on to your wife, if you're going to hold on to your husband, what this told me is that this actually takes effort and intentionality. You don't cling to something by mistake. And one of the things that we struggle with is that I've had people ask me this, Carlos, why does love have to be so hard? <clears throat> Shouldn't it just be natural? Shouldn't it be easy? And then I ask people, what do you mean by love? What, what, what do you mean when you say love, that love should be easy. What is love? And they begin to talk about, you know, cool stuff, you know, where we just, you know, we just click and we just hang out and we just spend time. I say, oh, okay, you're talking about fleeting moments of euphoric infatuation. 
That's what you're talking about. Yeah, I just want that. And those of us who have hopped from relationship to relationship know what that first six months is about. We all know what it's about. That's why you hop from relationship to relationship, right? Because that first six months is intense. You texting all the time, you calling, you sending all them little cute heart emojis, y'all FaceTiming on your break from work. You just can't not be with one another. When you with your girls, he all you talking about, and she just, they, y'all just clicking, and it's euphoric. And neuroscience actually says that that period can only last for two years at best, because it's actually a neurological state where your brain chemistry actually kind of mirrors a person that's insane a little bit. <laughs> This is a fact, I promise you can Google it. <laughs> You're a little insane, irrational. That's why you calling off your job, pretending like you got COVID so y'all can go and take a little trip and all that kind of stuff. You, you jeopardizing your financial future. Picking up the phone, <laughs> oh yeah, I got COVID for the eighth time. I thought you got both, bo bo both boosters. I, it don't work, I don't know. I, I called out the Fauci, I don't know what happened. <laughs> You're irrational. But the reason why we get this thing in marriage, y'all heard of it, the two-year itch. The reason why you get the two-year itch is because that means at best, like at max, you get those transient moments of euphoric infatuation for only two years. After that, you're just left with that person. You know the one, y'all know the one that when you first started dating couldn't do no wrong. They breath didn't even stink. They wake up in the morning and you inhale the funky breath. You <sighs> They go to the bathroom, you don't smell nothing. <laughs> <laughs> transient moments of euphoric infatuation. And then what happens? You do that for six months to two years, and then guess what? You get bored. You start saying things like, I just, this, this just isn't working out. We begin to look for something new. And so when people tell me, Carlos, why does love, has, why does love have to be hard? They act often, not always, mean, why does these transient moments of euphoria have to be hard? Um, and then what I point out to them is that biblically, that isn't what love is. It's actually a covenant that you have to commit to. It's, it's actually something that you choose to do. It's something that you hold on to in spite of your own brokenness and sinfulness, in spite of their brokenness and sinfulness. It's something that the world would tell you is insane, but it's actually what covenant love is in the Bible, and it's exactly what God models for us. If you ever get some time in your hands, I want you to hang on over in this book of the Bible and the Minor Prophets. It's probably in that part of your Bible that could be a little stuck together, depending on if you use it or not. Um, but it's this book called Hosea. There's this prophet. This is like the prophet who's called, you talk, some prophets, they stuff look dope. Like, you know, Elijah's prophecies look dope. Like, his life was just dope. He goes around, does miracles, get caught up in a chariot and taken to heaven in chairs of fire. I want to be that kind of prophet, okay? That's dope. Call down fire on Mount Carmel. That's dope. People got statues. Don't nobody want Hosea's call. Ain't no man in the history of prophetic history asked for Hosea's call. Hosea's call was to marry a woman by the name of Gomer, who also happened to be a woman of the night, and have kids by men that was not him, and then raise them. And then when she gets herself in some legal trouble, get locked up, God says, that's still your wife. Go and get her out of jail and redeem her and take her home and say, you're still going to be my wife. And his prophecy was not something that he said, but was his life to marry to someone who was unfaithful. And then God says, yeah, thanks, Hosea. I know this sucked for you. This is basically what I've been doing ever since I called the people to myself. And he says, what God says is that 
I'm making your life an object lesson in my covenant love to my people who, though they are not faithful to me, though they are broken, I still cling to them because I choose to. And so the reason why we have to cling, we have to hold on, we have to white knuckle is because, like I said, there are already forces that are pulling us apart. And then we got the society, which is telling you, hey, look, if you just get somebody that look better with more money, that's a little younger, that's a little older. If you just get somebody that you click with more, you will be happy. So the path to divorce actually looks more enticing because we think there's happiness on the other side. Fam, let me tell you, it's a delusion. Talk to somebody that's been divorced and tell, ask them, was it great? Ask them, was it not painful? I was watching Chris Rock stand up, tambourine, and he talked about, listen, if you can avoid that, avoid it. This Chris Rock, he ain't up there preaching. He's doing stand-up comedy. He talked about how it was the most painful moment of his life. So you got this pressure that's pulling you, the, the allure of what you see in front of you, the temptation that freedom looks better. But what God is actually saying is that if you cling to it, I know it's hard, I know there's tough, and there are moments, I want to be clear, there are times when the covenant has been broken by things such as adultery and abuse and things like that. I, I know that I'm, I'm very familiar with the biblical um, uh, 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 exceptions, but let's be clear, a lot of us are not leaving apart over the biblical exceptions, it's because we ain't feeling each other no more. And here's the reason why. This enduring love is under attack and why it's so easy to be pulled apart is because it is precisely the greatest evangel for the gospel. God lays the weight of this mystery on each and every one of us who would undergo the vow of marriage and says that this is the key way you think is by the amount of Bible verses that you know or by the verses that you post on, on social media. But God says, can you love your wife that's unlovable? Can you love your husband that's unlovable? Can you die to yourself, sacrifice what's going on inside of you, and love them the way I have loved you? And Hosea had to do this publicly. Many of us are doing it privately. Most of us, most of y'all look all right. God says, if you want to represent my glory, if you want to show the mystery of the gospel, it ain't just in your verses. God just has this weird way of not that, of course, we should hide the word in our heart. Of course, we should know scripture. Of course, we should know theology. But God just got this weird way of wanting his word to work its way from our head out to our hands and in our heart. And that's what makes it frustrating, okay? If all, <laughs> if all I had to do was just know stuff, heaven and Christianity would be easy, okay? I like reading. I like information. That's fine. But God says, you don't know it until you can do it. And God says, this institution called marriage witnesses to me. And this is why Satan is seeking to tear our marriages and families apart. Make no mistake about it. Satan himself is waging a battle. If you're wondering why, dang, me and my spouse been coasting. For a minute. Me and my hubby been good. Me and my wife been good. Then all of a sudden, all hell has just broken loose. Let me be clear. Satan is targeting our marriages because if he can tear up marriages, look at the collateral damage. Not only does he tear up a man and a woman, he tears up a church, a community. He tears up some kids. He undermines entire generations and locks them in generational poverty. He pushes down the educational and the liter literacy rate. He increases crime. He increases the prison and industrial complex and decimates entire communities just by tearing down families. Oh, man, the, bro the boy is smart. It's us who are out here playing patty cake. He knows... That if he can tear our marriages up, he can tear our society up because he hates God, he hates God's image, he hates the gospel, and his job and his life work is dedicating to making you, making you as miserable as he is going to be for all eternity. 
I was just talking, I think it was to Pastor Kyle, and we were actually talking about this, and he, he began to talk about how when a bomb goes off, how the explosives and, 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 and the, the, the powder and the, and the explosive elements, how they do so much damage. But he said a lot of the damage is actually not from the explosives, it's from the shrapnel. It's from the pieces of metal and glass and things that fly all over that kill people and that maim people, that it's not just the explosives, it's the shrapnel. And when our marriages fail, people of God, hear me good. The enemy is trying to release as much shrapnel and destroy our churches and destroy our communities as he can. This is why we got to hang on there. I know, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know it's a lot. And listen, this is why we're going to give you resources. It ain't just going to be sermons. We, this is why, listen, I want, I want to be real clear that we got Karis House. If you are wrestling through stuff, don't wrestle through the stuff alone. If you're married, you going through stuff, get, go to counseling. It's okay. We got a counseling house right here. If money is an issue, we got scholarships. We will help you, but we would rather walk with you. Our elders would rather spend hours with you than watch you guys' marriage employed and destroy your family and your kids and destroy for generations. At our church, we are trying to, we are intentionally, that's why we invest in Man Cave. Pastor Kyle is focusing on Man Cave. Our women are pulling together oases. We're doing Grow Night and are intentionally strengthening an entire family units because we are about breaking generational churches in this church, breaking generational curses and breaking Satan's stranglehold on our generations and on our kids. And so this mystery of marriage is, is contrary to human nature, but God brings us back together through the gospel. The mystery of marriage is grasped with human hands. You got to hold on to it. We, we got to work. But lastly, the mystery of marriage, it actually elevates human love. I already told you that love in our culture is boiled down to transient euphoric moments of infatuation. Love in our culture is boiled down to romantic interests and self-actualization. Can you help me meet my goals? Can we get the bag together? All that type of stuff. All that stuff is fleeting, temporal, and transient. Not necessarily unimportant, but it's not ultimate. Love in the Bible is covenantal. It's decisive. And it elevates human love to this place where he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. Have y'all ever thought about how Christ loved the church? Have you just ever really, really sat down and, and just talked about that? That y'all do know that marriage, it wasn't like <clears throat> Jesus comes, dies on the cross, and God says, yeah, marriage is kind of like that. It's not how it works. Think about this. Before God does anything, from eternity's past, before he gets the universe going, before the earth gets set on its axis, before hydrogen, helium, and lithium come together and explode in a big bang, before there's a Grand Canyon, before there's Niagara Falls, before there's me, before there's you, before there's Adam, before there's Eve, before there's Genesis 1, there's just God in all eternity, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal bliss, happiness, joy, completely fulfilled in himself. He says, I'm going to create humanity. The Son says, but humanity is going to fall. The Trinity comes together in their triune love and decides that they are going to invite all of humanity into that triune love by the Son becoming flesh, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead, and demonstrating the love of God, paying the penalty from sin, and uniting his people to himself for all eternity through salvation and union through Christ. The Spirit says that I will live within humanity. I will dwell in them and walk in them. 
And I will transform them gradually from the image of man to, into the image of God. I will transform their hearts. I will conform them to your image. And they will walk with us and spend all of eternity with us as the bride of Christ. And then God says, all right, let's do it. And then he creates man. And he says, I want this mystery. I want all of human beings to know. He don't tell us from the beginning. He didn't tell us from most of human history. But 2,000 years ago, he says, I created marriage because it's a parable of my love for my people that I died to redeem. So the marriage itself, it isn't that the cross is the afterthought. Marriage is founded and built on the gospel of Jesus. This love, check out this love, people of God. This love where Jesus says, I'm going to choose a people before the foundation of the world that I know is going to reject me. I'm going to set a love so intentional on them that I'm going to create them and make them. And I already know what the Bible is going to say about their failures, their rebellion, their hatred of me, their frustration. I know how many of them are going to push against all the things that I have poured out for them, but I'm still going to make them and love them anyway. And he says, this is the kind of love that I want you to go and have for one another. It elevates human love beyond something that would just merely be spoken of and presented as transactional, as euphoric. And God says, this is the mystery of marriage. That as we stand, it's contrary to human nature. You have to hold on to it, but that it's going to elevate your love for one another. My call to you, people of God, is as we walk through this series, those of us who are married, that you will begin to allow God to elevate your love for one another. That this love, one of, one of the reasons, and I, I guarantee you, I didn't sat with enough folks, one of the reasons that we struggle so much is because we become offended, sometimes rightfully so, okay? Rightfully offended, frustrated with one another, disappointed with one another. The trust has been broken up, broken. This person has wounded us one too many times. The bank of love and trust has been overdrawn, and every time they touch something, it goes to the red. What I'm suggesting and what I want to call and what I want to challenge our couples to today is to let today be a blank slate. I want to challenge each of our couples. I know a lot of you are on the rocks. I want to challenge you today to restart the clock. I know it's been running in the bread. I know they are in the hole deep. And it ain't looking like they're going to get out no time soon. Because if you're still married, that means this mystery still applies to you. And I want to remind you that before Jesus created the world, he knew you were in the red deep too. Before he made earth, all that stuff that you know you didn't did and all the ways you've rebelled against him and all the ways that even though you're a Christian, you still don't prefer God because it don't stop just because we can say we're always at war with that sinful nature. And God says, you are in the red, we'll be in the red until I come back and transform you. And guess what? I still love you. And so he looks at us and says that we say to our spouse, and he says to us regarding our spouse, go and do likewise. And so today, I'm not just going to turn you over to your own devices. Each one of these sermons, I'm going to have a bit of homework for you. Is that okay? I have a bit of homework for you. And you can find this is going to be on our screens. It's also going to be on the app. You can catch it there. If you uh, can catch it, write it down. That's fine. But I'm going to have homework questions. It's going to be for our couples and for our singles. Even though I may emphasize one over the other, depending on the message, it's for all of us. And so one of the biggest challenges that we all have in marriage is communication. Some of the things, some of us are festering and struggling in our marriage 
just because we're not talking. I'm not talking about picking up the kids from school and logistics and that stuff. Y'all know we can do that till the cows come home, right? Living like coworkers. But I mean really talking, really communicating. And so we're going to have these discussion questions. And so for our couples this week, and I want you to consider talking about it sometime this week. I would challenge you, if it works for you guys, do what works for you, to consider even talking about it later on the night, sometime today, or talking about it soon after this message while it's fresh in your mind. For our couples, I want you to talk about this. When you look at yourself in your relationship, in what ways have you been turned inward? Every single one of us in our marriages, to one degree or another, have turned inward away from one another. Every single one. It's male and female, husbands and wives, we're all guilty. What ways have you turned inward? And be honest. It may, listen, and let me say to other spouse, it might be hard to hear. Y'all know how you have turned inward. But be honest. Look each other in the eyes. Spend some time with this and be honest. Then ask yourself, how can you turn back outward in those areas towards your spouse? And then how can you turn upwards to God? When you look at yourself in your relationship, in what ways have you been turned inward? And be honest about that. How can you turn back outward in these areas towards your spouse? And in what areas do you need to turn upwards towards God? For our singles, very similar question. How have you been turned inwardly or sinfully self-focused in life? I want to speak to why I said sinfully. Um, I think there, for all of us, not just singles, but particularly for our singles, um, we should be focused on self and building ourselves and pursuing God and things like that. So I, I want to distinguish, I put sinfully there, to distinguish from right self-focusedness. Does that make sense? And I would say the same for all of us. There's a right level in which we should focus on ourselves. But I'm talking about inordinate self-focus. Um, how have you been turned inward or sinfully self-focused in life, in your relationships and in your friendships? If you are seeking to be married, how are your prayers or search for a spouse actually self-centered or self-focused? Are you looking for a spouse to feel all your needs? I hope you listen to my message. How, are, how is your spouse, how is your search, could it potentially be self-focused? In what ways is it? If you're single and you're not seeking a spouse, is this for the glory and the service of God or merely for self-centered reasons? Some of us are choosing to excuse singleness, not because we want to weaponize our singleness for the glory of God, but because we just want to keep playing the field and having a good time. And we need to ask ourselves, why are we choosing to stay single, especially both men and women, but I think for our young men too, especially. In what areas do you need to turn outward towards others? Are you just looking at yourself, looking at all the stuff that you're dealing with, looking at the ways that maybe you're sad and heartbroken about being single or just enjoying how you're being single and just looking at yourself? How is God calling you to turn outwards? And in what areas do you need to turn upward towards God? So I'll read it one more time for you. How have you been turned inward or sinfully self-focused in life, in your relationships and in your friendships? If you are seeking to be married, how are your prayers or search for a spouse self-centered or self-focused? If you are not seeking a spouse, is this for the glory and service of God or merely for self-centered reasons? In what areas do you need to turn outward toward others? And in what areas do you need to turn upward towards God? I want you to think about these things on your own. And then for our singles, I want you to not only think about it on your own, but I want you to discuss this question and these questions with either a trusted friend or with a group of friends or with your community group. But everyone needs to consider this for themselves and for those who are married, and not just married, those who are maybe engaged or seriously considering marriage. Talk about this with your spouse and for our singles. Consider it alone, but then talk about it with your community. Does that make sense? 
And so, again, if you were not able to catch all of it, don't worry. It's on the app. Download the app. Go to the Sunday morning stuff. You can catch the, sun, the sermon notes. You can catch those questions. We might even repost it on, um, on IG this week. Um, but I want to pray for us. We're going to have our time of response. And I want us to come. Maybe there are some things. Maybe, listen, maybe there are couples who need to come down to our response team. And you need your marriage prayed over. Maybe as a spouse, a husband, maybe you ain't got to put all your business out there. But listen, whatever you need to share, and I'm going to be honest, some of us need to put our business out there. Some of us need to be transparent because we've been pretending to have it all together. And, and Satan is tearing us up because we're hiding it. And so come to our response team. We got our, our brothers, our sisters, our pastors, our elders. We got brothers and sisters down here. It is completely confidential. Let them pray for you. Let them minister to you. Let them pour into you. And maybe you need prayer. It ain't got nothing to do with none of this. It ain't got nothing to do with marriage, relationships. You just need prayer. You just like, brother, I, it, this ain't got nothing to do. I'm just struggling. I need Jesus. I need to know more about the Lord. Our altar will be open. Our, our, our response team will be here. But let the body of Christ minister to you and walk with you during this. We're going to be walking this out over the next few weeks. There's a lot of things to be said, a lot of things to consider, and these things are sensitive, and they touch at the deepest parts of who we are. We don't need to walk this out alone. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, God, thank you for the mystery of marriage. Father, we all know on one level or another, whether it's through watching other folks be married or through experiencing ourselves, God, marriage is difficult. But God, marriage is also glorious. It's glorious because you call us to reflect the cosmic, eternal love of the triune God. God, you call us to the glory of displaying for the entire world the love that you have for your church, God, this beautiful bride that you are going to wash with the water of the word and conform her to your image. But God, in the meantime, it's, it's tough because it, it feels contrary. God, it's, it's hard for us to stay committed, stay connected. <clears throat> God, it's hard for us to cling and hold on to one another, God. It just feels like we want to let go. It would just be easier, God, if we're honest to just let go. Father, it would be easier just to have a self-centered love, a self-serving love, a love to just focus on me, God. It would just feel great, actually. But God, the mystery of marriage just calls us higher. It calls us to experiencing the cosmic love of Christ in our deepest, closest, and most intimate relationships. Be with us, God, as we experience your love, your grace, and reflect it to our spouses and to our friends to our loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.